Grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, if you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible under the chair underneath you or in front of you if you're using that Bible. We're going to be on page 864 together this morning. Since we returned to our series in the Gospel of Luke a few weeks ago, we've been hanging out in chapter 7. And and all throughout chapter 7, Luke has been working to teach us who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. Luke wants us to understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the Savior that God promised he would send who came to forgive sins and reconcile sinners back to God. And as Luke worked to make that clear for us, he presented us with a choice. How will we respond to Jesus? Will we respond with faith, repentance, and love, or will we respond with skepticism, doubt, and disbelief? It's an important choice that every single one of us must make because when you meet Jesus and you know who Jesus is, you have to make a choice. You have to respond. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. That's what we were seeing all throughout chapter 7 over the last few weeks. But as we begin chapter 8, Luke's emphasis is going to shift. We're going to see Jesus as he takes his message on the road. In fact, for the next two chapters, Luke is going to show us Jesus traveling all over the region of Galilee, proclaiming his good news. And Luke's focus is going to shift from Jesus' identity to Jesus' teachings and his message. And as Jesus is teaching, what we're going to see is that your response to the gospel matters. That's our main idea for the verses we're going to be looking at today. When you hear Jesus' gospel message... You can respond in a couple of different ways, and that response will have eternal consequences. That's what we're seeing Jesus teaching, and and that's our main idea for today. Your response to the gospel matters. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 1, we're going to go to verse 21. The Bible says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, 
They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see it. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Elsewhere in scripture, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father, as we look to your word this morning, I ask that you would speak to us. That we would understand that how we respond to the good news of Jesus, that it matters. Help us to see the temptations to go astray. Help us to see the temptations to only hear partially. And then help us to hear with good hearts. Help us to respond with obedience to all that you've called us into. Father, help us to hear from you today as we look at your word together. Father, I ask if there's anybody here who has never repented of their sin, they've never responded to the gospel in faith, whether they've been attending church for one day or for a hundred years, Father, I ask that you would work in their hearts today, that you would break down any walls of pride or self-reliance that might get in the way and that they would come in full surrender to repent of their sin and place their faith in your finished work. Save sinners today, God. We ask that you would do that. We ask that you would encourage us, that you would equip us to live for you. Let your word do what only your word can do. It's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Have you ever had a hearing test? Every year, for 15 years, from 2005 to 2020, the Navy made me take a hearing test as part of my annual flight physical. And and regardless of whether I was doing it on the ship or at the Naval Hospital, it was always the same. They would put you into this little claustrophobia-inducing sound booth, and you'd have to sit there with these really uncomfortable headphones on your ears, and you would sit there, and you'd try to not hear yourself breathe as you hear the beeps. Now, at first, the beeps would come, and it was no big deal. You had this little buzzer in your hand like you were on Jeopardy, and every time you'd hear a beep, you'd press the button. And at first, no, no problem. The beeps are loud, but over time, the beeps get quieter and quieter and quieter until you're not really sure whether you're hearing beeps or you're just imagining it in your head. Now, I hated that test. I was terrible at that test because I'd always, like every year without fail, the little computer voice would come on and it would say, you are pressing the button when no tone is being sounded. 
Only press the button when you hear a tone. Like, I, I don't know how I managed to pass these hearing tests, but somehow I did. I, I hated those hearing tests. Now, as much as I hated taking a hearing test, the reality is those tests are incredibly important because hearing is one of the primary ways that we communicate and learn. And as Jesus is teaching here in Galilee, the whole emphasis of what we're looking at today is on the importance of hearing him and responding to what he has to say. That's what we're going to see here. But as this section begins there in verses 1 through 3, Luke begins with a bit of a transition. Luke tells us that not long after that meal that happened at Simon the Pharisee's house there at the end of chapter 7, Jesus hit the road and he went on tour sharing his gospel message in the cities and, Galilee's, uh, cities and villages of Galilee. And as Jesus hit the road, he had this incredibly diverse group of people that was traveling with him. Luke tells us there in verse 1 that it included the twelve. These are the 12 men that Jesus chose to be his inner circle of disciples as he goes on mission. Back in chapter 6 is where he chose them. But in verses 2 and 3, we're told that it also included some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And Luke names three of them by name. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. Now, I'm pointing all of this out really quick because I want you to see that as Jesus begins to take his ministry on the road all throughout the region proclaiming his gospel, he's doing it with an incredibly diverse group of people. Jesus is accompanied by both men and women, but it's in the group of women that we see the real diversity here. Like some are social outcasts because of previous demonic possession. Listen, in Jesus' day, if you're possessed by a demon and that demon is cast out, you're still an outcast. Some are social outcasts because of sicknesses they've been cured of. But some of them are also women of power. Women who are connected to the highest levels of the Jewish government. On the surface, they have nothing in common. But all of these people are brought together by a common reality. They have all had an encounter with Jesus. And after that encounter, their lives are never the same. All of them have heard Jesus' good news and responded with faith and obedience. Don't miss that. The good news that Jesus is proclaiming here, it really is for everyone. And that truth is central to the message of chapter 8. So as Jesus hits the road with his good news, verse 4 tells us that when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus began to teach in a parable. Now remember, we, we talked about Jesus' parables last week, right? Jesus' parables were taught with a function in mind. As Jesus is teaching in parables, his goal is to elicit a response. He wants to evoke a reaction from the people he is teaching. We need to keep that in mind as we read this parable, okay? So beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell on good soil 
and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as Jesus is teaching, it should have been very easy for his audience to identify with the story. After all, Jesus is teaching to a a people who lived in an agrarian society. And he's describing something that many of them would have experienced firsthand. The setting is is pretty straightforward. There's this Palestinian field that has a well-worn path running through the middle of it. And in the late fall or early winter, during the planting season, a sower grabbed a bag of seed, slung it over their shoulder, and went out into the field. And as he's in that field, he's reaching into the bag, and he's grabbing the seed, and he's scattering it out. And the seed falls all over the place. Some of it lands on the path. Some of it lands with the rocks, some with weeds, some in good soil. The seed fell in four different locations as Jesus is teaching, but really there are only two results. The first three locations don't produce a crop, only the fourth. And as Jesus tells the story to the crowd, he finishes there at the end of verse 8 by calling out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That final statement sort of serves as a clue to understand the parable that Jesus is teaching. But as Jesus is teaching, they don't get it. Even even the disciples don't get it. But they also know Jesus well enough to know that Jesus isn't giving them a lecture in agriculture. They know Jesus well enough to know that he has something more important for them that they need to hear. So in verse 9, they ask Jesus what he was talking about. Take a look beginning at verse 9. The Bible says, and when his disciples asked him what his parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus' response to their question before he explains the parable is to explain that his parables function in two ways to those who are open to hear from him. They reveal the mysteries of God's kingdom. They serve to teach and instruct the people God is calling to himself. But to those whose hearts have been hardened, they serve as a form of judgment. They hear, but they they don't get it. Now, Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 6 right here where the Lord instructed Isaiah to pronounce a word of judgment over Israel. We're going to throw this on the screens. Take a look at this. Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, which is a message of judgment toward a people who have hardened their heart toward God. And what Jesus is saying is that his parables function as judgment to such hard hearts. The message Jesus is proclaiming is for a people whose hearts are open to hear from him. Now, this is not talking about people who are already saved. It's just talking about people whose hearts are open to hear. It's saying that there will be some people whose hearts have already been hardened and they will not receive the gospel. They've already rejected Jesus. And that rejection has consequences. So for them, the parables serve as a form of judgment because 
They hear it, but they don't get it. But for those who are open to hear, they teach the secrets of the kingdom of God, and that's what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus explains this twofold nature of his parables, and, and then he goes on to explain the parable. Beginning in verse 11, he says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. In the context of Luke, this is talking about the gospel message. The, the word of God is Jesus' good news of the coming kingdom. The seed is the gospel. It's the first thing you got to see here. It's the good news that Jesus has. And as we see that, the first thing I want you to notice in this parable is how that message is spread. Look back now at verses 5 through 8 as Jesus tells the parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, Jesus says. And as he sowed, look where it falls. Some fell along the path, and some fell on the rock, and some fell among the thorns, and some fell in good soil. The sower spread the good news of the gospel everywhere. The gospel is offered to everyone. That's the underlying truth here in this story. The gospel is for everyone. But not everyone hears the same way. Not everyone responds the same way. And so Jesus is going to point out these four different types of soil. And each soil describes different types of people who hear and respond to the gospel message. Beginning with the seed that fell on the path in verse 12, Jesus says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The seeds that fall on the path give us a picture of people with ears that aren't listening because they have hardened hearts. They, they may hear the message itself, but it's not registering because they're not actually listening. Their hearts, like that path that goes through the field, have been hardened. But what we cannot pass over as we look at this first soil is the reality that Jesus is teaching us that gospel proclamation is spiritual warfare. Do you realize that? Jesus said these people are those who have heard. The message has been preached to them. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. This is spiritual warfare. I think a lot of us miss that. I think a lot of us, we will freely acknowledge that God is real. We will freely acknowledge that we believe Jesus was a real person who really came. He really was the son of God who lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death, who was raised back to life. We believe that. But when we start talking about the devil, the devil's just that evil, red-suited cartoon character with horns that our parents made up to force us to behave. Now, we'd never say that in church. But I think if we're being honest, when we talk about Satan, that's, that's what we think about. We don't acknowledge that he's real, but the problem with that is the Bible says he is. The Bible says that he is fighting for your soul. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have to recognize that. We have a very real enemy who is actively working to prevent the spread of the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
Gospel proclamation is spiritual warfare. So as we recognize that, and we think about the fact that we're all called, every single one of us is called to go and proclaim the gospel. As we recognize all of that, what that means for us is we have to pray. Pastor Ben talked about it a few minutes ago. We're not going to see anything of eternal value if God is not working. We're fighting a very real spiritual battle. So if we want to win that battle, we have to depend on God. Apart from him, we will not see victory. So as Christians who are called to go and proclaim the gospel, we're seeing right here, we have to pray. We have to be dependent on him. Now, as I was studying this, I have to confess that while I I am confident, 100%, that's what this is teaching us, we're not told how the devil takes the seed away. We're not told how he hardens hearts. We don't know the picture in the parable of a hard path seems to give us a picture of Satan working to harden hearts so that they reject Jesus, they reject his gospel, they they don't even listen to his message, but we're not told how that all works. We're just told that there's spiritual warfare happening. So that's the first soil. It gives us a picture of people with ears that aren't listening because they have hardened hearts. But then in verse 13, Jesus explains the second soil. Here, the soil gives us a picture of people with superficial hearing and shallow hearts. Take a look. Jesus says there in verse 13, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Now, if we want to understand this, it's important to recognize that in the Palestinian hill country, there's a common condition that can make farming, that can make growing crops really challenging. Especially since in Jesus' day, the, the plowing of the field happened after you spread the seed. The, the challenge they faced is that there are areas that have a thin layer of topsoil, and then directly below that, there's this layer of, of limestone. And so it can look like it's really good planting ground. But what happens is, is that that topsoil is so thin that it isn't able to retain enough water and the rock is too firm that the roots of the plants can't penetrate through. And so as the seeds begin to germinate and grow, the the heat of the late spring and early summer causes them to wither and die because there is no water in the soil. And that's the kind of ground that Jesus is describing right here. These are people who hear the gospel message and They like what it has to say. Maybe they like the community it offers. Maybe they like the hope that it offers, and so they wade in, but only at a surface level. Their knowledge of the gospel never becomes faith. Their joy over the hope and life that Jesus offers never becomes faith in Jesus' finished work. And I have to tell you as a pastor, this is a group of people that I'm always concerned about because it's really easy to be like this in the Bible Belt. It's really easy to go to church and be connected and make a bunch of Christian friends but never truly repent of your sin. 
never truly place your faith in Christ. It's really easy to look like everything the gospel has to say and like what everything that the gospel has to say, but never ever put your faith in what the gospel is teaching you. And if that's how you respond to the gospel, the result is inescapably the same. When life gets hard, when things go sideways, when when your world starts falling in around you, you have no faith to sustain you. For most of us that are in that world, it ends up like you're just angry at God and you walk away. You're done. Your roots never went down in faith into the hope of the gospel, and so you fall away. That's the second soil. It's giving us a picture of people with superficial hearing. They they never made that trip from knowledge to faith. And so they have shallow hearts. And just like the seed that fell on the path that never had a chance to germinate, they produce no fruit. But as we move into verse 14, Jesus explains the third type of soil, which gives us a picture of people with distracted hearing and choked hearts. Take a look. Jesus says in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Here again, the seed fell into soil and and began to grow, but... But there were weeds. Back in 2020, Tam and I decided to plant a garden in part of our pasture. And so I called my neighbor Dave over, and he came over with his John Deere, and he disked the field, and then he got a tiller, and he tilled the field. And and from there, we spent several days cleaning out roots, tree roots, grass roots, all of that stuff. I even found a live mole in in the garden, and I cleared him out of the garden too. And, And after that was done, then we started planting our seeds. We planted corn and peas and beans. We planted a couple varieties of squash. We planted cucumber, and the garden began to grow. But mixed in with the seeds that we had planted were other seeds, seeds dropped by the wind, seeds dropped by birds, and they began to grow too. And for reasons that I don't fully understand, those seeds seemed to grow faster and stronger than the seeds that I had planted myself. And then life got busy. And the weeds grew up and they took over the garden and choked everything out. And in the end, the garden was a complete failure. It produced no crops. We ended up plowing it under and I got some grass seed from Jason and planted the pasture grass back. Those vegetables had been choked out by the weeds. And if you're a failed gardener like me, then you can understand with what Jesus is talking about here. Because this third soil represents people who hear, but they get distracted, and so they don't mature. They initially begin to respond to what they hear, but but they get distracted, and any response they have gets choked out by all the busyness of life. They're choked out by a desire to keep up with what social media says is success. They're choked out by sports and vacations and work and hobbies and everything else that in the moment feels like it's more pressing, more important than our faith in Jesus. And so the result is the same. Just like the seeds that fell on the path, just like the seed that fell among the rocks, the seed produces no fruit. This third soil gives us a picture of people with distracted hearing and choked hearts. They're too busy to hear completely. 
They're distracted by everything else and that everything else chokes out their hearts and their response and they produce no fruit. But then Jesus explains the fourth soil. And the fourth soil gives us a picture of people with good hearing and open hearts. Take a look at verse 15. Jesus says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The fourth soil is the soil that all of us should want to be, where we hear the word. And when we hear it, it convicts our hearts because our hearts are open to receive it. And as we receive the message, our faith begins to grow. We send down deep these roots of faith deep into Christ. And slowly, we begin to bear fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but I can be impatient at times. I like instantaneous results. Anybody else? Just just me? Just me? Like, I like it now. But did you notice what Jesus said right here? He said they bear fruit with what? patience. It takes time to bear fruit. Like, we, we want Jesus to just fix all our problems right now. Like, I'm struggling with this sin right now. Fix it now. Take it away now. That's not how it works. It takes time. It takes time to bear fruit. It doesn't happen all at once. Over time, the seed germinates, and it sends down its roots and it absorbs its nutrients and then it grows out and then it flowers and the flower is pollinated and a fruit begins to form and and eventually the fruit ripens and and then you see the fruit. Ever grown tomatoes? I'm not good at that either, but like (laughs) they grow up. You ever notice how much more beautiful the plant is when it's covered in red tomatoes? That's when you notice it, right? That's when, when, when all of that time has passed and the fruit is finally mature, but it takes time. It takes patience. Often God works slowly as he works in us, but that comes when we have good hearing and open hearts. Now that's the meaning of Jesus' parable. But as the explanation of Jesus' parable ends, Luke doesn't tell us how the disciples responded. Instead, he gives us another teaching of Jesus, and then he tells us about a time where Jesus' family came to see him. And and if we're honest and we look at all of this, it it all seems kind of disconnected. Like, it doesn't feel like it necessarily flows with the parable. But as we look at it, and we keep in mind the parable and its meaning, what we're going to see is that this little teaching and the visit of Jesus' mother and brothers is actually helping us to understand and apply the parable. So take a look, beginning at verse 18. Jesus said, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, what's happening here? After Jesus explains his parable, Luke adds on 
two stories. This is the first one. We're going to look at the second in a moment. And, and by themselves, they, they don't seem to make much sense. But this is why it is so important for us to read our Bibles in the context of our Bibles. We don't read verses 16 through 18 all by themselves. We read them where they have been placed in Luke's gospel because as we do, we'll be able to understand them. Luke gives us these two additional accounts after Jesus explained his parable to help us, the readers, understand and apply what Jesus is teaching. So first, Jesus gives a proverb there in verse 16 that's fairly simple to understand. The, the lamp that he's talking about was an oil lamp that would produce about the same amount of light as one of our candles today. Now, it's been a while, but imagine the power goes out in your house, and you want to light up a room. You, you go and you grab a candle and you light that candle. You're not going to take that candle, light it, and then put your mixing bowl over the top of it, are you? Right? That would defeat the purpose. And you're not going to take that candle and you're not going to hide it under the bed. Are you? Again, it would defeat the purpose. No, what you're going to do, if you want to light up your entire bedroom, you're going to take that light, that candle, and you're going to hold it up as high as you can reach. In Jesus' day, that was done with a lampstand. They would have these stands that held the light up as high as possible. And the point here is that Jesus' teaching, the teaching he was just talking about in the parable, it's like the lampstand. He's spreading the truth of God. He's spreading the word of God, the seed in the parable. And God hasn't hidden his good news under a bed. He hasn't hidden it under a jar. He sent his son Jesus to reveal, to proclaim the secrets of the kingdom of God for everyone to see. And the four soils that Jesus has been talking about are the different ways that you can hear and respond to that good news which is why Jesus said there in verse 18, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. If you hear and receive the gospel like the good soil, with good hearing, with an open heart, you'll receive that and so much more. You'll continue to grow. But if you don't, Jesus warns, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Even what you think you have, if you're the rocky soil that initially sprouts and thinks you have life, but then, then you die for lack of roots. If you're the soil that sprouts and starts to grow, but is choked out by the weeds, even what you think you have, the life you think you have, will be taken away. The parable is about how we respond to Jesus' teaching. And the first step of responding to Jesus' teachings is that we have to truly hear it. Jesus is shining out his message to everyone. It's not hidden. It can be heard by anyone who will actually listen. But the parable makes it clear that it's not just hearing that matters. The whole thrust of the parable is that we bear fruit Three didn't bear fruit, one does. So how do we do that? The answer is found in Jesus' response to his mother and his brothers. Take a look at verse 19. Luke says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd, and he was told 
Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Did you notice how many times Luke has used the word hear or hearing in this 21 verses? It's on purpose, right? Now, Jesus isn't just coldly dismissing his mom and his half-brothers here. He's not just dismissing his family. Jesus is making a bigger point. You see, when you are that good soil, when you hear with good hearing, when you hold fast to it, and that word hold fast, it simply means to hold tight with all you've got for as long as you can. You don't let go for anything. That's what it means to hold fast. When you hold fast to his word with an open heart, you're going to experience radical life transformation. Because when you hear Jesus' gospel and hold fast to it, when you repent of your sin and you place your faith in him, you're grafted into Jesus' family. You become his mother and brothers. You're part of Jesus' family. And when you're grafted into Jesus' family, you're going to start to bear the family resemblance. You're going to start to look more and more like Jesus. You're going to find yourself not just hearing the word of God, but doing it. You're going to find yourself living out God's commands, putting sin to death, growing in Christ-likeness. You're going to find yourself bearing fruit. And that's the critical difference between the four soils that Jesus is talking about here. All four soils received the seed. They all hear the word. But the first three didn't respond rightly. They didn't hear it rightly. They hear with ears that aren't listening. They hear with superficial hearing. They hear with distracted hearing. And so they don't embrace the message. They don't put it into practice. The seed never bears any fruit. And as we see that, we can begin to understand what Jesus is teaching us. So I want you to remember again, what's the point of Jesus' parables? Jesus' parables are meant to elicit a reaction. They're meant to evoke a response. Jesus has been traveling and proclaiming his gospel message, and as he does, he wants us, he wants you to recognize that your response to the gospel matters. He wants you to respond like that good soil. What seems clear as we look at this whole section, though, is that that response is a whole life response. It's not a one-time thing. He's talking about a whole life response. We bear fruit with patience, which means it's a daily thing. Now, I've stolen this from a much smarter and funnier pastor than me, J.D. Greer, and I've told you guys this before many times, but it bears repeating. I think sometimes we think about the gospel message, and we think about it as just the springboard from which we dive into the pool of Christianity. Like, that's what gets us in. We hear the gospel, and then we're in the pool, and we're swimming around in Christianity, but the reality is the gospel is the pool itself. The gospel is where we swim. It's where we live. We need the gospel every single day. And we respond to the gospel every single day. Daily, we surrender to Christ. 
Daily, we put sin to death. Daily, we pursue Christ-likeness. Daily, we respond to the gospel. It's not just a one-time thing. It's every single day saying, Jesus, I'm following you today. Jesus, I sinned against you yesterday. Forgive me for my sin. Help me to be more like you. Every single day, we pursue Christ-likeness. Every single day we respond to the gospel because your response to the gospel matters. I realize this main idea today is like super basic, but it's also super important. As Jesus is teaching this large crowd, it it really does feel like he's saying, hey guys, can you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? And if you do, how will you respond? It's a question that every single one of us has to answer. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He was, is God. He's God. But he left the splendor and majesty of heaven. He put on flesh and became us like, like, like us in every single way, but without sin. And he suffered a sinner's death on that cross. The death that I deserve to die on that cross. The death that you deserve to die on that cross. Though he was perfect, without sin, he died on the cross for our sin. And they buried him in that borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he was rose in victory over sin and death. And when we repent of our sin, when we place our faith in his finished work at the cross, he forgives our sin. He gives us his righteousness. That's the gospel message. How will you respond? Will you even hear? Or has your heart already been hardened to it? Will you hear with superficial hearing and respond with a shallow heart without roots of faith? Will you be too distracted by everything else that's going to happen today and tomorrow and in the week and month ahead? to truly hear? Or will you hear with an open heart and embrace the forgiveness and life that is available? Will you respond with obedience to all that Jesus has called you into? Will you bear fruit with patience? Pastor Ben was talking about our prayer emphasis today of spiritual renewal. I don't know about y'all, I want to bear fruit. And that means today. Today, I'm responding to the gospel. Tomorrow, I'm responding to the gospel. Every single day, I wake up and I say, Jesus, I'm following you today. And that's something I say because your response to the gospel matters. How are you going to respond? My prayer is that you'll respond with faith. My prayer is that you will come and you'll bear fruit. That's the encouragement we find here today. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this teaching 
that we find here in Luke chapter 8. It's a hard teaching. It's a little confrontational. It's a little in your face, but Father, we thank you that you're willing to speak hard truths to us. And Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who are the good soil. Help us to have true faith. Help us to move from that position of we know who Jesus is, we know what Jesus has done, to the place of placing our faith in Jesus' finished work. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to recognize that there are all kinds of distractions that are going to try to come in and choke out our faith. Pull us away from you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Father, help us to be a people who bear fruit. We thank you for this word of encouragement today. We ask that you would help us to walk in this. You are good and you are faithful and we thank you for your faithfulness. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.